How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Is this the nightcap? Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Nightcap. No! This is Patrick! Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. I had uh, not a main show topic, I think, for today, but a show topic that Brendan has already just killed in cold blood on Twitter. Dead. <laughs> It's the Nightcap, by the way, Joe DiBiase, Brendan Keeney. The topic, if you don't follow us on Twitter, and if you haven't seen it because it's only been two minutes, I wanted to ask the question today, and we might as well just do it here, right here now, because I do have other things that we want to get to. Is it okay to root for the Carolina Hurricanes? No. And I think everybody, you're saying no. That's it. That's our show. We could wrap it up right now, maybe. It's obvious why I'm asking. The 06 Cup, like, they have something of ours. That should be our banner that's Correct. up in their their arena. So I guess I'll modify my statement. If they relinquish the Stanley Cup, the credit <laughs> for the Stanley Cup from 2006, <laughs> I will then decide whether or not I can root for that team and yep. that organization. Yep. Um, that's fair. Now, the other reason to, to want to do it, like, they're pulling at the heartstrings for me. They're everything I want in a hockey team. Like, they are fun. They don't care what you think of them. They're doing the celebrations after the games. They are smart and analytical. They are trusting the numbers. They have an advanced, new-age, puck-moving blue line. They're all about possession. You know, they are about even, like, the, just team build. They're everything I want. They're, we're going to go cheap in net. And we're still going to get good to, to above average production. And we're going to be a great team that way. Just with smart, savvy moves all over the place. We're not going to have any superstars. But that's just how we're going to do it. But, like, so I want to do that. And there's this Twitter exchange I had with their team account. By the way, that's their, their Twitter account even is fun. Right. Like, everything about them is fun. They have a mascot that's a pig named Hamilton. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. But... They also have all these little reminders all over the place that of 06. Like Rod Brindamore behind the bench. Like that's not helping. Like they've got a stall still on their team. There's still a guy skating around a Hurricanes jersey with the with the stall. You know, they'll show that banner once in a while on the TV broadcast. Just like Eric's stall uh, wasn't exactly the uh Right, and then acquisition of the century for the Sabres this year. And then here, right, I've got Eric Stahl on my team. I've got a guy who who won the cup for Carolina in 06 running the entire organization. So I've I've kind of got little jabs all over from them. So I'm I'm struggling. I think I'm still rooting against them though. Like because the kid in me just won't let me do it. Even though, again, everything about the way I would want the Sabres to operate 
is what the Carolina Hurricanes are doing right now and how they have done it for years now. Like They're the way I want the Sabres to run their organization. But they have something of mine. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get over it. Like, they've got my cup. Exactly. We're in complete agreement. I don't even know if we have to discuss this further because okay. all we're going to be doing is right, we'll just, just repeating what we're thing. saying. Okay, that's right. All right. So, anyways, <laughs> I do want to get to a couple of other things. I had a wide receiver uh, debate or discussion with a couple of callers last night that I want to get into with you relating to Gabriel Davis and kind of projecting out at the wide receiver two position, which I called last night. You've heard me talk about like the six pillars on the Bills team and on all football teams, like quarterback. This is only speaking about players, not coach and GM. Quarterback, defensive end, left tackle, middle linebacker, wide receiver one, cornerback one. The Bills, I think, might have a seventh because of the way they run their team, and it's that second wide receiver position. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, And with Gabriel Davis also relating to that. Because... I wrote about at the website today something that I want to talk about with you because it's, in fact, I want to put it on my TV right now because it's, it's happening right now. In the NBA, they are having their first play-in tournament for the postseason tonight. Tonight is the first night of their first play-in tournament. Right now, you've got Charlotte and Indiana playing. Indiana's a 9 seed in the regular season, and Charlotte is a 10. They are playing each other, and the winner of that game will play the loser of tonight's game between the Celtics and the Wizards, who are the seven and the eight seeds. And the winner of this game that's on now and the loser of tonight's game will play for the eighth and final playoff spot. So let me say that more clearly because I think that putting those team names into it kind of made it a little confusing. The way the NBA play and tournament is formatted is the seven plays the eight, the winner goes to the postseason as the seven. The loser plays the winner of the 9-10 matchup. And the winner of that game gets the 8 seed. I think the idea is incredible. I love the way it's formatted. I love that it's not just 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9, the two winners get in. That's I don't like that. Because this is... It rewards your regular season comparatively. Right. right. It, it, it still makes the regular season matter. It makes getting into the top 8 matter a lot. Because it's weighted. For the seven and the eight seeds, you gotta lose twice to miss the playoffs if you're the seven or the eight. And in turn, if you're the nine or the ten, well, you're gonna have to work a little extra harder. You have to win two games to be able to get in. The NBA to me is always going to be the sport, the league that will have ideas like this. They are the most forward thinking, they are the most progressive, they are the most willing to tinker with rules, as it appears to me. But for this specific rule, I love the idea. I would l- I like that they're doing it. It makes more sense for the NHL. And here's why. To me, this year for the NBA is a very rare occurrence where the 7 and the 8 in the West actually have a very good chance to win a round. In fact, the Lakers are favored to win the West today as a 7 seed that has not technically even made the playoffs yet. But, again, that's a rare occurrence. I went back through the year 2000, and there are only four occurrences of a 7 or an 8 seed winning any playoff series in the NBA. And in the NHL, in that same time period, it's happened 38 times where a 7 or an 8 has won a playoff series. And 
Seven times a seven or an eight seed has made it to the conference finals in the NHL. Five times they've made it to the finals, and you have one championship. The LA Kings were an eight seed in 2010 when they won the Stanley Cup. So to me, I want the NHL to do this. I want them to play copycat as soon as even next year. I don't think they're probably going to do it, but that's the league where you get in and you've got a shot. And to me, getting six games with a Game 7 feel before the playoffs start, that is content, that is how you sell your sport, that is how you create value for your new TV partners and ESPN and TNT. Right. And I don't care that you weren't two at first. Like I, I, my, my final line in that piece at, at the website was, rule of thumb for the NHL is just go copy the NBA. <laughs> Whatever the I don't care if they did it first. Just they're probably doing it right. Just go do what they're doing, and this would be one of those occurrences where I would absolutely copycat this into the NHL. Absolutely, and I'm I'm just for that in pretty much all sports. I love the idea of uh, playing tournaments to get into the postseason because what are we talking about here as far as NHL teams are concerned? The really anything beyond what the top three to four seeds in the division or in the conference or whatever the system is, because I know this year is a little different, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Pretty much all teams are, are right in that uh, kind of grouping together. The, the latter half of the teams that get into the playoffs and even the teams that miss there's the, the difference between them is very marginal. So why not make something of that? You uh, celebrate the parody in your sport. That's like what Gary Bettman and the owners mm-hmm. want people to take away from the NHL, that there's all this parody and anyone can win, which is true, really. Yeah. More so than any of the four major sports, if anyone can win on a given night. It has the most parody, right? I would say so. Yeah. Just the nature of the, of the sport. Uh, baseball might have more parody on a game-to-game basis, but the fact that there's 162 games compared to 82 negates that. Right. Uh, So getting some eyeballs to the TV, it's must-watch television. Already it's must-watch television. Uh, The Panthers and the Lightning tonight. The NHL playoffs are great. Imagine putting some of these teams in a tournament to get into the playoffs where they know if they get in, anything can happen. Columbus literally swept one of the best teams we've ever yeah. seen in sports <laughs> yep. a couple years ago because that's just the way the NHL is. And But it also, Joe, it kind of calls into question what you want out of sports. What do you want from sporting events? Do you like the randomness of, of the NHL, or do you like the fact that skill absolutely dominates in the NBA? I think I'm growing more and more towards the NBA side of that. Like, I want the most talented teams. I want the teams that have perfected their roster build to see the fruits of that labor. You know, I don't, I don't want just one hot goaltender to, to derail years of team building. If that- like, then that happened really in Columbus a couple years ago. Tampa outplayed them in that series, even though they got swept. They got swept, right? Yes. Like, they outshot them. They had the puck more often. Like, the numbers and even just watching the game, like, they had the puck more. You could just see that they were a more skilled team. They were a more talented team. And they lost. But so much of it was Columbus was getting saves. 
And I, I, at the end of the day, I don't want it to always come down to just that. Like, I want a team like Tampa, who's built it perfect. Like, they've done as good a job building a team as you could possibly do. I want that to be a dynasty. Because don't, I'm, I should be striving for my own team to be that. I should be striving for the Sabres to one day be able to build their team like the Lightning have. And if they do that, I want them to be rewarded with Stanley Cups. I don't want to just get lucky and, and do it. Like I want, I want it to be the process that gets there. Kind of the way the Bills have done it. Like I want that reward at the end of the journey. And to me, that kind of leans more towards the talent. And... Not as much the parody, like anybody can win, because that's what the NBA is. The NBA is a little bit different, because it's not team building. It's individuals deciding where they go. You need a star. Right, you need stars. You need really three stars yeah, at that's this true. point. Or you need two megas. You need, like, you need two mega stars, you need three stars. Like somewhere within that range. So I would say I'm, I side more towards the NBA, but not all the way, because I, I like... Going about there's, building there, a team, and that's not what the NBA is. There's got to be a, a happy medium between the NBA and the NHL. Because in the NBA playoffs, upsets very rarely happen over a seven-game series. Yep. Very rarely. I'm sure you looked up some of the statistics. I don't know if you don't have them right off the top of your head. That's fine, but I, I know the that... The only one I had was there have only been four seven or eight seeds that have won series in the NBA since 2000. Right. And it has not happened since um, since Philadelphia won as an eight seed in 2012. So you have to go back almost a decade to find any seven or eight seed winning a series at all. And I'd like something in between. I don't think... I agree with you, hockey might be a little bit too much on the parody side. I don't want to see Columbus in the second round. Sorry. Right. I that, want to see Tampa Bay in the second round. I'm struggling that with that right now with Montreal because I I don't know what to do there. Who I want to root for. I kind of I really want to see Leafs and McDavid in round 2. Matthews McDavid in round 2. Like that would be hot. Like that's a series I would be pumped for. Montreal Edmonton, no, not really. Like I don't even right. know if I would watch a lot of that series. I'm sure right. I would because McDavid. But that doesn't appeal to me. But I think I'm still going to be rooting for Montreal because I want to watch the world burn. <laughs> I want to see Toronto blow it up because they've lost for a I, fifth year You in know what? It's one of those things like logically you can say, oh, I'd like to see Toronto win this series so they can play Edmonton. Right, and then the game starts. And then the game starts and then <laughs> Montreal scores and you're just like, yes. Yes, yeah. Dale Weiss is scoring goals out there. I don't think he still plays, but like that's the type of guy I'm thinking of for this. Um, like, yeah, if you've got third, fourth liners just putting goals in past whoever's playing goalie for the Leafs. So, But, but yeah. overall, I am a big proponent of trying new things in sports because let's – I'm sick of the uh, the traditionalism in a lot of sports. Like, oh, this is the way it's always been done. It's like, come on. Sports are... We make up sports. Like, they're made-up things. Like, let's add to it and oh. let's make it Man, more exciting. You're pulling on the heartstrings there. I hate <laughs> how seriously sports leagues take themselves. We weren't just born and, like, <laughs> hockey existed. Like, humans created <laughs> hockey. So why... Let's tinker with it. Let's see... Let's keep going to see what the best product we can possibly come up with is. And I do think the idea of including more teams, creating more win-and-get-in scenarios, uh, lose-and-go-home scenarios is better for the sport. 
because those are the types of games. And here's another thing, Joe. I think the NHL playoff system right now is way too bloated. The NBA playoff system, the NHL playoff system, way too bloated. We're talking about four seven-game series. Mm -hmm. That's too much. I don't care about game three between Columbus and Carolina. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, I'd be for shrinking the, the size of the series. But if not, give me something at the beginning of the playoffs to kind of get into that winner-go-home mindset. Right, And I think if you can do that um, and create that drama right from the beginning, I'm all in. What about football for this? I think football I has it perfect. I was going to say, I haven't <laughs> thought about a play-in type tournament for football. Um, they already kind of do have a play-in type tournament. Like, the, the winner of the whole conference gets the bye. Yeah. And the the very essence of football just lends itself to peak drama because every single game in the playoffs is win or die. Hmm. I think I agree that I don't love it for football, but at the same time, I'd love I'd the build up. Like if it was well, would I? Depends on the matchup. Like what would last year? Have and been? that's, a, that's last year would have been what like Colts it, versus Dolphins, right? To make it. But you or have, something like but that. But here's the thing: like last year was kind of an odd year in that there were a number of good teams in the AFC. I don't think it's usually yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. You had, like, a 10, you, you had a 10, 11 win team miss. What was we, Miami's record? Ten and six. Ten and six. Ten and six. Do we really care in a, in a in a normal year about who makes it in between the? I'm trying to think of just two. The the two the most Raiders media, are always in the there. Raiders. The Raiders are definitely that, because, the answer to that because question. Because what's the what's the outcome going to be? Most likely, sure. There's there could be upsets, but most likely, and of course, the Raiders are a bad example because they are actually the team that beat the four, the Chiefs last year. But right. just think of your two average teams going up against the Bills or the Chiefs or the Ravens. Like they're not. It's not going to be a competitive game. So I think you have to know your product enough. And yeah, that's that true. the upper echelon teams of the NFL are truly the upper echelon teams, and there is a big gap between them and Team 8, 9, 10. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement there. And plus, the football, football you can't do the, the this format. Because right, you can't do two games. You cannot have two weeks of buys no. for the top team and then a whole week of buys for the other playoff teams. Like, yeah, I, you can't. I think, the, I think the NFL has it. Okay. Pretty much done. So NFL will leave alone here, but NHL should absolutely do it, 100%. Yes. Um, all right, 803 is the phone number. If you want to talk about this play-in tournament idea, I do, though, next segment, want to get to yesterday's conversation about Gabriel Davis, the Bills' wide receiver two spot for the long term. Next year's free agent list, if you heard me rattle that off last night, it's an incredible list. Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin – there's another very intriguing name that I didn't have on that list yesterday that will also be a free agent 2022. I just want to throw his name out there, and we'll get into it with that second wide receiver spot for the Bills projecting out uh, for the long term. That's after this here on the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase and Brendan Keeney. This is WGR. He's probably going to regress. He's not going to continue to add five points to his you know, completion <laughs> percentage every year. The question is, is, how much can you deal with? You know, And I think they've done a great job to put players around him. I mean, they've put Emmanuel Sanders, who 
You know, I think John Brown was the one weak link in their receiving core last year. They took care of that. I think they've done a good job. The question is, if he regresses, how much can they handle and still be an elite team? If, if he settles into like 65% completion, you know, let's say 7.5 yards an attempt, he throws 10 interceptions. Like, are they, that, those are great numbers, but they're declined from last season. Uh, do the Bills need him to be as great as he was last year to be as successful as they want to be? That's the really good question that I, I don't know if I have the answer to. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus was showing the Bulldog earlier today. Could the Bills withstand some Allen regression? I think you have to plan for it. Ooh, see, I don't know that you should plan for it. I think the way they're built, they can withstand it. I wouldn't plan for it. I would build my offense as though he's the quarterback that we saw last year. Oh, 100%. But I'm just saying, I don't think it's fair to expect the exact same output next year. That's right. I I think when you say plan for it, though, the first thing I thought of was, well, we need a run game to... To supplement, no, if Allen types I simply a step back. mean like you okay. might he might shave a few points off his completion percentage, okay. and and that probably happens, right? Right? I would I would like if See, that was a, a prop bet, I would bet on it. Man, I want to let me find that clip of Allen with Chris Sims. Every time I think about Allen regressing, I think of that that interview he did with Chris Sims before the AFC Championship game about changing his throwing motion. And to me, it sounded like a guy that had just fixed it. Like, it, it wasn't a fluke because of who you played or the, the scheme you were in, the offense. I think the scheme and the offense help him and the weapons help him. But what he said to Chris Sims, I hope I'm able to find it. I did right here. Two minutes long, but it, it's definitely worth it because I will at least play some of it here. Because I think this explanation for how he improved his accuracy is something that maybe you don't regress from. Going to this offseason, um, I got my mechanics kind of digitally mapped by a, a little company called Biometrics. Um, and they were able to kind of pinpoint what was firing in your in your motion the right way and how it was supposed to fire and uh, just trying to find little deficiencies um, in your mechanics. And I found out basically my arm was beating my hips to the, to the release of the ball, which, you know, isn't a great thing. And, right. Uh, I was using everything up here and nothing down on the bottom. So trying to change that, um, trying to make sure that my hips are firing first, kind of incorporating the little Rogers pop in my left foot, um, that's been a huge key and a huge help for me. It's been able to kind of make the ball come in my hand really well. And, you know, I feel like I'm at to a, to a point right now where I don't, I don't miss too often. And when I do miss, I understand what happened and why I missed. Um, so... It just it, it feels good, and I'm not gonna lie. And it's uh, I talked to Tony Romo in the super, at the Super Bowl last year, and just talked about um, a guy by the name of Mickey Mantle, I believe, baseball player, and one of the greatest players of all time. And the way that he was able to bat at such a high high average, he figured out how to keep his bat in the zone the longest. I could be wrong. I, it could not be Mickey Mantle, but I think it was him. It means Tony. Yeah. And trying to keep that bat in the range or the area of the ball as as long as possible in order to create, you know, higher percentage of contact. So in my mind, I kind of twisted that and was able to find out a way how to keep my arm in the area as long as possible in order to get the ball there and not trying to create this little, literally this uh, vertical angle that I was thrown on last year and causing the ball to dive and sail because my release point was at such different points. 
where it kind of came and in my mind I see a strike zone. If I can stop my hand after I throw the ball in that strike zone, I feel, I feel like I'm you know, more consistent and more accurate. I love that answer so much. I love that clip. I will take every chance I'm able to play it because that to me might be a guy that has just fixed it. Sure. And that maybe there isn't regression from a completion percentage standpoint. In fact, if he thinks he's figured it out, like the the accuracy part of it, if that 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 little comment about keeping his hand in the strike zone, if he thinks that's fixed it, I might hazard to wonder if that completion percentage number could get into the 70s. And I want to clarify, I don't think that he'll regress in a very um not in like a dramatic way. Right. right, like right. It, it would be like almost a negligible not back kind to, of regression. Not, not back into the 50s. the 50s. Right. No. I I think you just he made such a massive jump that it would be incredibly impressive to sustain that jump from one year in the toughest league in in football to the next. Um, so that's kind of what I'm saying. I, I don't think right, like okay, he'll yes. drop back down to year two Josh Allen. Right. I think you might not see 70% Josh Allen, which is fine because you can win with 66% Josh Allen. And honestly, Joe, yeah. looking at – I know this is way off topic, but did you see some of the spreads that the Bills have? Did you like go through the entire season? I, no, I only saw that they were favored in fifteen of seventeen. I didn't see the actual. They're lines. favored in fifteen of seventeen, and Vegas, from what it looks like, they don't think there's going to be many close games. <laughs> I know. Actually, I saw one of them. They had the Bills as like minus fourteen and a half against Houston. Yeah, which is like I know it's Houston. That's a huge number for anybody in the sport. Like you rarely see above ten, and um. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna want to. I need to look at that list because I haven't yet. It's I very only know interesting. There's a lot on there that's like going to Jacksonville and being up six I and saw, a half points and stuff I, like that. I think and I did see they're favored at New Orleans. They are. They're favored at New Orleans. That that one was close. It was like one and a half points. Do we think that one holds? I would. I honestly would bet the Bills to cover that game. From right now, absolutely. I don't know what to do with New Orleans yet. They're, they are a I weird think, team, but I think the Bills are good enough where I think they would go to yeah. New Orleans and cover. I I, th- I think I would agree with you right now. I want to see – I mean, obviously, I, I hate being you know, down the middle on a team like this. <laughs> but I really do want to see them before I make any declaration of what they are. Sure. Because I it could go either way. There's a The Saints might have the widest range of outcomes Them in the, the league. You think the Colts? I think the Colts, the Colts to me. If if you have Carson Wentz from last year compared to Carson Wentz of what three sure. years ago, then you're talking like now, 12, see, 13 wins compared to like seven. That's a good point. The reason I would say that theirs is maybe smaller than the Saints is their division. Like they're in a very easy division, I think, coming up. Whereas the Saints dealing with Tampa and I think it depends what you think of Carolina because I think Carolina is going to be very good um and Atlanta is at least a headache you know they're they're a team you've got a a good enough offense you're gonna have to put points they're no walkover sure so I think the division is tougher for New Orleans so you might be right with the Colts they might be on the same level but the Saints would be right up there sure in terms of their worst possible season I mean the defense is not some elite unit they're much better than they used to be 
but they're not some unit that could carry a team. And the offense, which has been the bread and butter of the entire team for this entire existence of Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Mm. They still got Sean Payton. They got the mastermind. But what else are they working with? I mean, they've got two very good skill players. Two very good ones. Great ones. Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. And everything else is a question mark. Including the most important position, quarterback. Like, is Jameis Winston going to settle down and take care of the football more now that he's playing on a much less reckless offense with Sean Payton as opposed to Bruce Arians, who, if you know anything about Bruce Arians' offense, there's not a lot of emphasis on taking care of the football. Every quarterback that's played for Bruce Arians and other coaches always has higher interception seasons with Bruce Arians. Brady just did it with 10, I think. I mean, for Brady standards, that's actually a lot. Carson Palmer had his career high in interceptions with Bruce Arians. And Winston threw 30. So, to me, will he be... like He's not going to be a check-down guy. But can he still be as effective of a passer while not taking risks? Because if he can't do that, and they are either with watered-down Jameis Winston throwing to one receiver... They lost Jared Cook at tight end. I like Adam Troutman, but I was I've been very wrong on young tight ends breaking out in the past. We'll we'll leave that there. You still owe me money for I, that, by the way. Do I? <laughs> do I actually? No. Okay. Um, I, I, I definitely there's got to be someone out there I owe money for, to on Chris. You Herndon. owe money because I took your advice and lost. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> they don't have anything at wide receiver two or wide receiver three, and if Taysom Hill has to be thrust into action then they're like this gimmicky offense. And what's that going to get? How far is that going to get you? So I think the Saints could be a 12-win team, and I think they could be a 5-win team. Sure. So, all right, we got sidetracked by the Saints there and Allen with the spread conversation. So we'll take a a little bit of an early timeout here to leave a couple extra minutes in the final segment, and we will get to that wide receiver topic that we talked about yesterday. Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver two spot, projecting that out right after this. Jody Biasi and Brendan Keeney, this is the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase, Brendan Keeney, last call on the Nightcap on WGR. The Penguins just scored the easiest playoff goal I've ever seen in my life. So that game's one nothing. Halfway through the first, did you get a chance to watch it yet? I'm looking at it right. I'm looking for it right now. I should say. Okay. Give me a second. Brian Rust from the Penguins, with just the easiest looking wrist shot you've ever seen in your life. And Semyon Varlamov, who's starting game two for the Islanders after not playing game one, it was Ilya Sorokin who got the start in game one. What happened? I like. Doesn't it look like he just doesn't even see it? Like, cause he doesn't really move his glove. I don't know. It was a Could really you imagine what Sabres Twitter would be like if that <laughs> went in on uh, on uh, anyone? I, you know, I don't know what Sabres Twitter looks like in a playoff atmosphere. That's a good point. We've. N- I didn't have Twitter Does, on the Sab- last time the Sabres were in the playoffs. Now I did. Like I think I got Twitter like 2009, 2010, but I don't think there was really a Sabres Twitter. Yeah, like, there were a couple people. But it wasn't, there weren't a lot. Like now, you think Sabres Twitter, and like there, there are people you think of yeah. like that are a part of that. Like Chris Ostrander, and um, Joe Yurden, and Chad DiDominicis, like the guys from Expected Buffalo. Like you, 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 not just media guys and bloggers too. Like you, there are others that you think of that are not coming to mind right now. Um, 
Kevin, NT Ryder is another one from Sabres Twitter. Like you, you think of those guys. I don't think they were out there in 2011. So we don't know what Sabres Twitter looks like in playoffs. We don't know what anything looks like in playoffs anymore. It's been too long. Long um, time. Let's let's get to our Gabriel Davis topic here because I've been wanting to get to it all 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 show with you because yesterday we did a lot of it and I thought it was a good conversation with a couple of callers and I want to know where you rest on this because I kind of got swept up in the idea of a big ticket number two wide receiver for the future, but I admitted that Gabriel Davis kind of has the keys to the car. I think that position, given that in this Bills offense, you're talking about a 100-target receiver. Really, if you look at their number two target, if John Brown had stayed healthy last year or if Davis had played the entire season, or if you just look at Beasley, I think Beasley maybe himself even got to 100 targets. I believe he did. The Bills' number two receiving threat gets to 100 targets. And right now... It doesn't. This doesn't have to be the case where Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are gone after the season, but it's very. There's a very good chance of that. Beasley had the broken leg in the playoffs that he played through, and we just saw the Bills value that position to an extent where if they think they can upgrade from you, they are going to do it. They just did it with John Brown. John Brown had one season of injury and a little bit of inconsistent play, and the Bills went. We think we could do better and we're going to move on when we have the chance. That could happen next year when Cole Beasley's contract's up. If he has some nagging injuries throughout the year, if he takes any step back in his production, the Bills could go, all right, we get out of this contract for free. Let's go do it somewhere else. Let's go bring in somebody else. And to me, that's wide receiver two spot. Will it be Gabe Davis? Will he be the number two target on this passing offense for the foreseeable future after this year? Because this season, he's still probably going to be a bit of a part-time player. I went through some of the numbers. The Bills had the second most snaps in the league last year with four receivers on the field. But they only, even being second most in the league behind Arizona, it was still only 12% of the time that they had four receivers. And Davis ended up playing about 75%, but a lot of that was because John Brown was injured. So if the Bills stay healthy at receiver with Sanders and Beasley then Davis is not a full-time guy on this offense. I don't think, unless Sanders is more of the part-time guy. But I don't know. So he'll get a chance, and I think he should get a chance, because I think they got to find out what they have in Davis this year. Because if if it's kind of like my Allen conversation from last offseason. It's, all right, if Allen plateaus, I don't need to move on, but I'm going to want to have a conversation if a guy like Aaron Rodgers comes available. And that's kind of where I'm at with Davis. If Davis shows out, has an amazing year, we're not going to need to talk about this next year. They can just sign Tremaine Edmonds. They can sign their other guys. We don't have to worry about what they do for their other receiver spot. What kind of year does that look like statistically? Good question. I mean, I'm thinking 60, 70 catches. If he repeats what he did his rookie year, then I'm going to want to look at that free agent list. So I'm gonna want to look at. I'm gonna want to debate with you if Davis has the same season. What's a better idea, signing Tremaine Edmonds or signing Devontae Adams? Even though we know that Davis did not start or get uh, all the snaps like a uh, Diggs or a Beasley, so even right. even though he's not getting all the snaps, I think so. You still aren't comfortable with what he did. Wait, no, I think if he this. has the same we, we season. Had this, uh, we had this conversation before free agency in the draft. 
and the question was posed, are we comfortable with Gabriel Davis being your second best receiver going into this season? This season. Mm -hmm. I think we both said no. We did. So I'm not sure if he's going to be on limited snaps just because of who's here. I'm not sure we're going to get the season that can tell the full story of who Gabriel Davis is. I'm not hmm. sure you want well, to have the season unless unless the reason is that he plays himself into that position. I'm not sure we want to see the season that tells the full story because that would mean injuries see, or significant decline by Beasley or Sanders. I feel like for to to commit to him as your number 2 option past this year, I think I want him to be able to overtake 34-year-old Emmanuel Sanders. Like, I want his play to be able to do that, to warrant that, where you just can't take him off the field. I think that's fair. Because he's getting open all the time. And that doesn't mean that even if he doesn't have that season, that he can't be a part of this offense. Right. Because... You don't have to just get rid of him. No, of course, of course you don't have to get <laughs> right. rid of him. Yeah. Because I would want him a part of this offense, even if he looks like what he did last year. So you're asking more, do you address you, yeah. wide receiver in next offseason if he doesn't show out enough? I think if Davis's game doesn't take a jump, if it doesn't take, he doesn't take a big step forward as a player, I'm going to want either their first round pick to be on that position, like I did this past year, or I'm going to want them to go invest some free agent capital. They're not going to have a lot. It would probably be their only big move next offseason, especially if there's an Allen contract coming, which I imagine by then we'll have it. You mentioned Devontae Adams. How, uh, what's the dynamic if you sign Devontae Adams to a higher contract than what Stefan Diggs? is making oh that would be tough you're right and what kind of message <laughs> does that send um you would probably have to find a pay raise for him and i don't think you're finding way a way to do that that'd be amazing if they could do that um so that's also yeah. the thing like these well, moves don't there just, are other like, guys they're, they're just not on trees there are other guys there are there's will fuller who's a free agent there's chris godwin who i guess actually is about that same level as Diggs. there's alan robinson think about what galladay just got would he get somewhere around $18 million per 18 year million. from the Giants? I yep. just don't see well, that I, kind of bargain. Who would you much rather have, Godwin or Galladay? And that doesn't even – even if they're equal or even if Godwin's a little bit less, you're talking about another year removed. Perhaps the cap goes up a little bit more so teams are willing to spend a little bit more. I just yep. – I'm not sure that move is there. I think the, the one move that – is my favorite idea, I think, for this. And you could probably do this irrespective of what Davis does this year. Because this is not Adams or Godwin or, or Robinson. But I think it could be your number two wide receiver. And it's a guy that you could get for less money than Diggs. And it's not the sexiest name, but Michael Gallup is a free agent next year. And he's 25 years old. And I think he's great. I just think Dallas has other amazing wide receivers. Sure. And they probably won't be able to keep him unless they find a way to move on from Amari Cooper instead. But that would be surprising. So Gallup is a nice idea for me for that. And again, a year from now, that's not the sexiest name because Adams, like that put that that's a topic like people are going to call in for. And I don't think Michael Gallup is that. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't be the smartest move. So I guess there are other ideas that are not go big or go home for the Bills at that position. But I would want them to do something, because as it stands today, I think that position is one of the seven most important positions on this Bills team, and I don't know who's playing it in 2022. I don't know who's in that role 
after this season. I'm at, I, I'm, I, I think Davis has a good, a very good chance of being it. I think but I don't know that he's going to be. I it. have a hard time believing that they'd want to invest that much money into the position, and I don't mean it as if like they don't think it's important. I, th- I, I think they can. They believe they can find guys who fit what needs to be done. Find a guy who knows how to get open, who maybe has been underutilized in past roles. Like Cole Beasley, and oh, like we, Gallup, go back we to know Dallas. Exactly <laughs> what their prototypical receiver is now, a guy who can win off the line of scrimmage. Right, that's guys who can get open. That's who they like. They don't like the big receivers who can't separate but can make high point catches. That's not who they are anymore. That's not their philosophy. So, I'm not. As war, I think the big move of the receiving core, hopefully for a long time, was simply acquiring Stefan Dix. Hopefully, everything now is through the draft or finding these little pieces that turn out to be bigger pieces, what are initially seen as smaller pieces, like Beasley, like even John Brown, like Emmanuel Sanders, hopefully becomes in this offense. I think that's the way to address it going forward. And if they hit a jackpot, with Gabriel Davis in the fourth round, I mean, yeah, that's how. That's, I mean, it. that's how you keep winning. That's sustained success. That's, that's right. how you just got to. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on today's show. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the play-in tournament. Tomorrow we'll have Warriors and Lakers, although I think it's late, so I I won't have to worry about being distracted. Um, So until tomorrow, thanks for listening. This is the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase, Brennan Keeney here on WGR.